0: The tears will dry, amen, and uh, boy, that helped me tonight. How many said I got some help right there? That ministered to me, and I sure appreciate the Combs family. That's what we needed, and that was worth coming for right there, amen. Let's go to Genesis 39 tonight in your Bibles, Genesis chapter number 39, and appreciate those who have the willingness and the ability to sing, and uh, we're with a number of folks. They have the willingness, but not quite the ability, so... (laughs) It's always good when the two come together. So I appreciate them, and be sure to stop by and get some of that music on your way out. Now, pay for it first, but do get some. And you ought to have that playing in your car and in your home. And that's the kind of music my wife and I listen to as we drive up and down the interstate. And we need that in our lives. So thank you for that. And good to see you back here again tonight. A good crowd for a Monday night. Thank you for being back again tonight. And again, come back tomorrow night, Tuesday night. Here, do not miss. Do not miss, Brother Rusty Smith, tomorrow. And I'm not. Peeling out, I'm going to be right there in the third row with my Bible open, ready to hear what God has for me tomorrow night. And so, you make sure you're here for that as well. And I can't wait for that. I'm excited to get fed and to see what God's going to do in our hearts. How many is just uh, you say? I'm ex- if you're excited to be at revival tonight, would you raise your hand? Uh, how many says I'm glad that I'm not in the hospital? Raise your hand. How many says I'm not in jail? Raise your hand. How many ought to be in jail? Raise your hand. Okay, yes, right here, right here. Okay. I believe that, amen. I appreciate those who have prepared the meal for us, and that was wonderful tonight, and looking forward to that again tomorrow, and that sure makes it easy on folks to get here and not have to worry about all that, and so uh, I just hope that the Lord will meet with us once again uh, tonight and use his word, and I'm just a simple Bible preacher, and I just want to deliver the word, and that tonight be just a little heavier of a message, and I know that we have some young people here tonight, and so I'll just let you know I'll be safe. Uh, But a little heavier of a material, I believe the Lord would have us to have tonight. And so I just want to just preach the word and get out of the way. Genesis chapter number 39, uh, verse number 7, the Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Boy, those were bold words. Those were enticing words. Those were wicked words. Father, would you take the message tonight and uh, take the story and lift it off the pages of your word. And Lord, apply these truths to our heart tonight. Lord, I pray that you would help us to listen and tune out all the distractions, and no doubt folks worked all day long, and they've come in, and Lord, our, our, at times our mind is going here and there, but Lord, would you quiet us down on the inside tonight and help us to tune in for just the next few moments and to listen to what you have to tell us. Lord, you've already ministered to our hearts, to the music and the song tonight, we thank you for that, but Lord, now use your word in our hearts, and we pray that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, stir us tonight. Help us to uh, revive the areas of our life that need revival. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. In 2018, ESPN put out an article with this headline in it. He said, Alabama assistant coach had playbooks stolen before national championship game. The article goes on to say, Atlanta police say a playbook belonging to Alabama defensive line coach Carl Dunbar was stolen just two days before the Crimson Tide played Georgia in the college football playoff national championship game. It goes on to say that Dunbar told police he left his backpack containing the playbook in a meeting room at twelve forty-five, and when he returned, both the backpack and two of his cell phones were gone. An unidentified suspect wearing jeans, a T-shirt, and a baseball cap was caught on video taking the bag. Dunbar rep- rep- reported that his game bag, notebook, wallet, iPad, passport, sunglasses, reading glasses, and thirteen hundred dollars were inside the bag. Security was able to find some of. Dunbar's items, a uh, police said in a restroom on the third floor of the hotel. Alabama had no comment on the incident, but the Crimson Tide Alabama went on to beat Georgia 26-23 to in overtime uh, to win its fifth national championship under uh, Coach Nick Saban. You say, preacher, do you think that that stolen playbook had any effect on the outcome of that game? I'm not sure, but I do know this. If you come in the possession of the opposing team's playbook, It will give your team the upper hand. Can I get a witness right there? You and I tonight have the Word of God, and contained in the Word of God, we have the devil's playbook. In fact, the New Testament says we're not ignorant of his devices. In other words, the same dirty tricks that the devil has used since Genesis chapter 3 are the same dirty tricks that he still uses today in an attempt to wreck our lives. Now he has a lot of plays in his playbook, but I believe there's one play that has wrecked untold marriages and homes and families and lives, and that's the play called Temptation. I want to say tonight, just by way of introduction, just a few statements about temptation. First of all, the devil wants you to sin, but he cannot make you sin. Therefore, he uses a technique called temptation to cause you to sin. Now, whether or not you give in to that temptation is your choice. How many's ever heard somebody say, well, the devil made me do it? How many's heard that? Can I say tonight, that is a lie. Chuck Swindoll said it this way, the devil can set the bait, but only you can take the bite. The choice is always ours. Let me say this. It's not a, it's not a sin to be tempted. uh, It's a sin to give into the temptation. Now when you and I understand the ways of temptation, you and I can be better equipped to win the war against it. And when it comes to temptation, you either overcome temptation or you're overcome by temptation. There is no middle ground. You're either a winner or a loser in the battle against temptation. We learn here from Joseph's life that victory over temptation does not come accidentally. It does not come automatically. But it comes when you and I deal with it aggressively. Tonight I'm going to preach on this subject, simply the devil's playbook. The Devil's Playbook. I want to share with you tonight a a two-part message. I didn't say a two-point message, but a two-part message. And for the first few moments together, I want to look at Potiphar, uh, Potiphar's wife, and she really for us is a personification of temptation. Then we're going to turn the page and spend the last few moments together looking at uh, Joseph, and we're going to find a pattern to follow so that you and I can overcome temptation in our day-to-day lives as well. Notice number one tonight, we see this temptation deployed. Temptation deployed. From Genesis 39, we learn four characteristics about temptation tonight. First of all, notice this. Temptation strikes precisely. Temptation strikes precisely. In other words, the devil tempts us with the right method at the right moment. In other words, the way we are tempted and when we are tempted is no accident. You and I are introduced to Joseph in Genesis chapter number 37. He's a 17-year-old kid, and he comes from a dysfunctional family, and that's probably putting it lightly. And one of the great takeaway truths from Joseph is this, that you do not have to come from a perfect family in order to be used by God. In other words, your family can be jacked up, and God can still use your life. How many says that's good news? We know that Jacob, the Bible says, loved Joseph more than all the other siblings. And one of the ways that he showed him that was giving that coat of many colors to him. And that favoritism caused problems in that family. And by the way, favoritism still causes problems in families in 2021. The Bible says that he loved him more than all the other brothers and the siblings. And so he gives him that coat of many colors. And at that point, the Bible says that the brothers could not speak peaceably unto him. They begin to envy him. And finally, Joseph begins to have those dreams. And he shares the dreams with his brothers. And he says, one day, uh, you're going to bow down before me. And that was like throwing gasoline onto the fire. Well, one day, the brothers are out taking care of the sheep. And so Jacob sends Joseph to go check on the brothers and the sheep. and he goes to Shechem where the brothers were supposed to be and the brothers and the sheep are gone and as he's wandering around Shechem he runs into a man and the man says what are you looking for and he says I'm looking for my brothers and the sheep and the man said they're no longer here they've gone over to Dothan and let me stop and say this right here aren't you thankful for the times in your life when you're wandering around without any direction that God puts somebody in your life that points you in the right way and so finally, he finally goes there in Dothan and as he approaches his brothers, his brothers see him coming and the Bible says they begin to conspire a plan to slay him. They begin to plot his murder. Finally, uh, one of the brothers speaks up and says, we can't do that. And so they take Joseph, they, uh, they strip him of his, of his robe and his clothes and they uh, put him down in a pit and finally they sell him off into slavery for 30 pieces of silver. They take that robe, they rip it up, they dip it in animal's blood, they take it back to Jacob and says, your son been killed by a wild animal, you'll never see him again. All the while Joseph is hauled off like a wild animal into Egypt. He's put on an auction block and a man named Potiphar buys Joseph and brings him into his house. Potiphar is like the head of the security detail for Egypt. He's a high ranking government official and he purchases Joseph and brings him into his, lot, into his house. And wonder of wonders, the Bible says that when Joseph gets there he begins to serve him. You say, what's the big deal about that? Listen to me, you talk about a hurtful experience Joseph just went through one You talk about a heartbreaking circumstance Joseph just experienced it And if he would have been like most of us He would have got to J- Potiphar's house And said, I didn't sign up for this I didn't ask for this I don't want to be here I'm not going to do a good job for you And instead of becoming better He could have became bitter and let me just say this as a warning tonight, you better be very, very careful how you respond to the hurts of life. There's people in here, listen to me, I'm not talking about just preaching theory tonight or preaching something I read of a book. I and mean, In my 20s, I would talk about hurt, but it was just a bunch of theory. But about three years ago, my wife and I experienced some hurt, and it's no longer theory. You better be very careful how you respond to the hurts of life. Some of you, and listen, my heart goes out to you, and if we only knew your story, our hearts would break tonight. But some of you have gone through things in your past, and it should have never happened, but it did happen. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you, it's, it's bad enough that people have to be hurt in this life than to think that the devil could creep in and use that hurt in your life to drive a wedge between you and God. I'm just saying as your friend tonight, someone just trying to help you be very careful how you respond to the hurts of life. And you may be young here tonight and say, I've never been through a hurtful experience. I'm here to tell you, you're not going to get out of this thing without getting hurt at some point. And somehow, wonder of wonders, Joseph ends up in Potiphar's house, and instead of becoming a bitter individual, he gets there, and I can just imagine some place in his heart, in his life, and in his prayer life, he says, God, I didn't ask for this, I didn't sign up for this, I would have never chosen this, but I believe that this somehow is a part of your plan for my life, and I believe that you're still good, and I'm going to choose to trust you and keep on doing right. And so he got in Potiphar's house, and he just began to serve him, and serve him, and serve him and it wasn't long before the Bible says that he got promoted and he became the overseer over everything that Potiphar had can I say there's a principle in the word of God and most times in the Bible stuff is backwards you say what do you mean? I mean the way up is down, the way up is down, he went to Potiphar's house he said I'm just going to be a servant I'm just going to make my main objective to be a servant and do whatever is placed in front of me And it wasn't long before he began to rise to the top and became an overseer over everything in Potiphar's house. In fact, the Bible says that God began to bless Potiphar's house because of Joseph. Listen to me. The way up is down. You say, I want God to use my life. I want to make a difference. I want to be a leader, not to be a dictator and rule over people, but I want to make a difference for God than be a servant. Our friend Dr. John Gates, said it this way. He said, you grab the bottom rung of the ladder, and one day God will turn the ladder upside down. Yeah. That was worth coming for tonight. <laughs> Just be a servant. Yeah. The Bible says of Jesus, he took upon himself the form of a servant. And a few verses later, the Bible says that God has exalted him and given him a name above every name. The way up is down. You know what River City Baptist Church needs? Some servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he got there and wonder of wonders instead of getting bitter and allowing that pain to destroy his life He just began to serve God And by the way, and you know this, I know pastors going through the, the daily devotional And you're walking through Joseph's life through that But you'll find in his life, there's, a, I don't know how, any, any other way to say it There's just a divine buoyancy in his life You say, what's buoyancy? It's like taking a basketball and holding it under the, underwater in the pool What happens when you let go? you got to knock your teeth out, amen? I mean, it shoots back to the top. And over and over again, through different people and circumstances, uh, uh, Joseph was brought down, but each and every time, because of his character and integrity and his relationship with God, he rose to the top every single time. Well, we need some of that divine buoyancy in our lives, don't we? And so we begin to serve God and serve God. And so can you see here the big picture story of Joseph, how the devil tried to use that hurtful experience in his life to drive a wedge between him and God. But although his brothers turned his back on him, Joseph refused to turn his back on God. And although his own flesh and blood betrayed him, he refused to betray his God. The devil tried to use that pain to destroy his life, but listen to me, it didn't work. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 7. And it came to pass after these things. What things? The blessing, the promotion, the prosperity after these things. That his master's wife cast her eyes upon him and she said, lie with me. See, if the devil cannot destroy your life through pain, he'll try to destroy your life through pleasure. Most men can handle adversity, few men can handle prosperity. Evangelist Junior the Southern Baptist Evangelist, said it this way. He said, the, patient is, uh, the devil is a patient devil. The devil is a patient devil. You say, what does that mean? That means God, uh, the devil will sit back and allow you to gain some influence and to make a name for yourself and maybe rise in leadership. Come on. And he's a patient devil. And once he knows that you get to a place that if he can knock you out, he's going to take a whole lot of other people with you then all hell will break out in your life. The devil is a patient devil. Well, listen to me. Temptation strikes... Precisely. Notice this number two tonight Not only does temptation strike precisely But number two we see this uh, Temptation strikes persuasively Temptation strikes persuasively She said in verse number seven Lie with me Verse eight he says But he refused But notice what it says here In verse number ten And it came to pass As she spake to Joseph A day by day That he hearkened not unto her To lie by her Or to be with her Did you notice the wording changed each time? See, her proposals changed, but her purpose did not change. Her invitations uh, invitations changed, but her intentions did not change. She said, well, Joseph, if you won't lie with me, then just lie by me. And if you won't lie by me, then just be in the same room with me. Because she knew if he would just be in the same room with her, then eventually he would be lying by her. Then it was a matter of time before he was lying with her. You say, what's the point? The point is, if the devil cannot tempt you to commit the sin, he will tempt you to compromise with the sin. In other words, you don't have to go all the way, just come some of the way. It's the young person in your church who gets involved uh, with maybe uh, yoked up with somebody who uh, maybe the people around her uh, that love her and are healed and just care about that young person, see some red flags, and they try to speak into that young person's life and say, you know what? I don't know if he's the best for you or she's the best for you, but they come back and say something like this Well, I'm not just, I'm not going to marry them. I'm just going to date them for a little while. You're getting set up. It's the man in your church who's been sober for three weeks. And on a Friday night, his buddies call and say, "Hey, why don't you come hang out tonight?" And he says, "I don't drink anymore." They say, "You don't have to drink. Just get around to the old places and the old friends and the old atmosphere." He's getting set up. If the devil cannot tempt you to commit the sin, he will tempt you to compromise with the sin. Temptation strikes persuasively. Notice it also strikes persistently. It strikes persistently. It goes on to say in verse number ten, "And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph, a day by day, he came at her. She came at him the first time, and he refused. But that did not discourage her. She came back again and again and again and again." If the devil cannot defeat you with the first temptation, he will strive to defeat you through frequent temptations. You come to the end of Luke chapter 4, and Jesus is facing the devil in the wilderness. And finally, at the end of that battle, the Bible says in Luke 4 verse 13, And when the devil handed in all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. in other words, the devil says, Jesus, you won this time, but I'll be back again. It's like a, a, uh, maybe a rock in, in, in the woods somewhere, uh, a, a, a drip of water on a rock, it's not going to affect that rock, but months and years of continual dripping on that rock will eventually wear that rock away. And so often, it's just the persistency of temptation that begins to wear us down. Well, I don't know if your life is like mine, but it seems like every time you open up a cell phone, it's there. Every time you turn on the television, it's there. Every time you go to work, it's there. Come on now. It seems like temptation comes at us on every hand on a day-to-day basis. Temptation strikes persistently. But notice lastly here, temptation also strikes privately. Temptation strikes privately Notice the Bible says in verse number, uh, verse number 11 And it came to pass about this time That Joseph went into the house to do his business And there was none of the men of the house there within She waited for the exact moment that they were all alone the rest of the men were out somewhere else on the property, working in different parts of the facilities there. But there she was, all by herself. Uh, he was all by himself, and at that moment, the uh, the temptation climaxed and she grabbed a hold of him when nobody else was around. You say, preacher, why does it seem like in my life temptation just seems to get heated up and goes to a next level when I find myself all by myself? Because the devil knows you'll do things in private that you would never do in public. You'll look at things and get involved in things and do things that you would never do in an auditorium full of people. So when you and I find ourselves all by ourselves, uh, alone, that's not the time to put our guard down. That is the time to put our guard up because the devil strikes in private. Somebody said, uh, sin breeds in places of loneliness and darkness. Be careful when you're all by yourself. We'll get more into that in a moment. Number one, we see this temptation deployed. But number two tonight, I want you to see this temptation defeated. How many is thankful that you and I are going to face temptation in this life, but how many is also thankful that we don't have to be overcome by it. We can overcome temptation and not be defeated by it. Here's a verse I want to share with you tonight, and we'll get into the second half of the message. First Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That is the promise from. God to you, that no matter what temptation you face, there will always be an exit door for you to escape and flee to safety. How many thankful for that? But can I say in my own experience, in my Christian life, there's always an exit door there, but it's only there for a window of time. And if you stall out for too long, should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I look at it? Should I not look at it? Eventually, if you stall out for too long, you'll end up succumbing to that temptation. But there's always a way to escape, God says. Let me give you four... Uh, Four points from Joseph's life here As we see How do you say Preacher how how do I overcome temptation I mean there's just an area of my life It seems like I'm just constantly struggling with here lately And it seems like every day It's just dogging me And it's coming at me And the fiery darts are coming at me How do I have victory in my life Brother Taylor Notice first of all We see this from Joseph here And his response to the temptation First of all You must refuse sin You want to be victorious over sin and, And overcome temptation in your life Then number one You must refuse sin Notice what he says in verse 8 The Bible says but he refused In other words he said no thank you He said no the first time, he said no the second time, he said no every time. Firmly and forcefully and dogmatically, he simply said no to sin. And friend, if you and I, I mean the baseline of it is this, if you and I are going to be victorious over sin, we've got to learn to say no to sin. I understand the Christian life is not just gritting your teeth and trying harder. I understand that. I know that we've got to be prayed off. We've got to have the armor on. We've got to have our hearts and minds saturated with the Word of God. I understand all that But at the end of the day You and I have a responsibility To simply say no to sin No I'm not going to look at that No I'm not going to go there No I'm not going to run with you No I'm not going to get involved with that You know the, the reason some of you are losing Your fight against sin Is because you simply lost your fight See there was a time An inappropriate scene would come on the television And you would get up and change the channel Some of you don't change the channel anymore some of you, there was a time in your social media, uh, something uh, inappropriate would come across your feed, and it would shock you. Some of you, doesn't shock you anymore. Right. Can I say very simply tonight, sin ought to bother a Christian. Yeah. Right. Good. I came for something deep. No, this is what we came for tonight. Sin ought to bother Christians. Yeah. Right. It ought to bother you to hear profanity. It ought to bother you to hear God's name taken in vain. It ought to bother you to see inappropriate images and scenes. Come on now. A Christian is on dangerous ground when he becomes desensitized to sin. And some of you ought to be bothered by the fact that sin no longer bothers you. Well, I'm thankful on this day, Joseph's sensitivity to sin was pretty high. When you and I become desensitized to sin, we find ourselves on dangerous ground. You've got to, first of all, just say no to sin. Number two, notice this. He didn't just say no to sin, but number two, you must reason with sin. You must reason with sin. I don't mean he made a deal with sin. I don't say you excuse sin. I don't mean you justify sin. Uh, What I mean here is Joseph explained, or or in other words, he, he considered the consequences of sin notice what he says here in verse number 8 but he refused and said to his master's wife behold my master what is not what is with me in the house and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand there is nothing greater in the house than I neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee because thou art his wife he looked at her and said lady have you lost your mind do you see how good God has been to me do you see all the blessings and the privileges and the responsibilities that your husband has entrusted me with and you think I'm gonna throw all this away for just a few moments of pleasure with you you are out of your mind lady but so often in a moment of temptation the adrenaline's going boy we get tunnel vision don't we and we can't think of anything else other than just a few moments of pleasure that we're gonna get from whatever sin it is that we're enticed to well you and I ought to stop boy the devil does a great job and by the way this was a real-life temptation Potiphar was a high-ranking government official in Egypt. He could have had any woman he wanted to in Egypt. So I promise you, this woman did not look like she fell out of the ugly tree and hit every branch on the way down. This was a beautiful, attractive woman. He was a a young, red-blooded young man. It doesn't get any more real than this. But he said, when I consider the consequences, you ain't worth it. Boy, the devil does a great job of advertising the pleasures of sin, but he always conceals the the pain of sin. There is pleasure in sin. You think I'm going to sit up here and lie to you tonight? There is pleasure in sin. But it's only for a season, and oftentimes the uh, the, pl- when the when the the pleasure of sin ends, the, the the pain the season of pain begins, and oftentimes the consequences far outlast the short moments of pleasure that we find in sin. God help us in a moment of temptation to think to ourselves, "How's this going to affect my family?" How's this going to affect my kids? What's this going to do to my testimony? How's this going to affect my co-workers, my witness with them? Come on now, stop and consider the consequences of our sin. Now, that's a good deterrent for sin, but it's not the best deterrent. Number one, we see this, you must refuse sin. Number two, you must reason with sin. Number three, we must reveal sin. We must reveal sin. You say, what do you mean by that? Notice the last phrase of verse number nine. He says, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You know what he did there? He called it for what it was. Quit giving sin cute little nicknames. It's not an affair, it's sin. It's not a one-night stand, it's wickedness. It's not a fling, it's sin. Yeah. And boy, if we would start calling it by what it is, instead of giving it politically correct, cute little nicknames, yeah. boy, that would help us, wouldn't it? Yeah. No, lady, this is sin. This is wickedness against my God. I'm not gonna do this. He called it for what it was. Yeah. I love what J.R. Bailey said. He said, he who has learned to call the sin to which he has tempted, this great wickedness has already won half the battle. I think Charles Spurgeon nailed it when he said it this way. He said, when I thought God was hard, I found it easy to sin. But when I found God so kind and so good and so overflowing with compassion, I smote upon my breast to think that I could have ever have rebelled against one who loved me so and sought my good. Yeah. That's the greatest deterrent against sin. Yeah. Some of you have a wrong view of God and it's messing you up in the Christian life. God's not waiting for you to mess up so he can reach out and pound you. God is your heavenly Father who loves you, and when we sin, it grieves and breaks his heart. You say, what's the fear of God, being afraid that God's going to hurt us? No, the fear of God is being afraid that my sin's going to hurt him. That is the fear of God. And Joseph said, I've loved him, and he's been too good to me, and I know if I sin against you, it's going to break his heart, and I'm not going to do that. I love him too much. A heart for God is the greatest deterrent to sin. Good night. Somebody will be tweeting this. This is pretty good. Amen. Just kidding. Notice lastly here we see this. Number one, you must refuse sin. You must reason with sin. Consider the consequences. You must re- reveal sin. Call it for what it is. And then lastly, number four, you must remove sin. You must remove sin. Now verse number 10, he, he, he didn't even want to be in the same room with her. And sometimes we got to remove the sin from ourselves, and other times we remove ourselves from the sin. But notice what he says here in verse number twelve. And she caught him by his garment, saying, "Lie with me." And he left his garment in her hand and fled, and God him. Out William Taylor said it this way It's dangerous to drive rest of horses near the edge of a cliff It is dangerous to, drive gun, uh, to bring gunpowder near a fire It is dangerous to, uh, to come near a snake's fang And it's equally so with these fallen natures of ours To approach temptation And he goes on to pro- quote Proverbs 4.15 Therefore avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away So you say, what are you saying? I'm saying, if you and I are going to be pure in our hearts and minds and bodies, and how many believes that's what God would have us to do, then you and I ought to know, boy, I'm a fallen individual. And prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And if I know that I'm a sinner, and I know there's a devil out there that hates me, and by the way, there is a devil who hates you. Let me say it again. He hates you. The devil hates you. He wants to ruin your marriage and your testimony and your family in this church. And every day of your life, you want to wake up and look in the mirror and affirm yourself these two truths. Number one, God loves me and the devil hates me. God loves me and the devil hates me. And we ought to live in those realities every day of our lives. But when you know that you are a sinner and you're naturally drawn to sin, and there is a devil out there placing temptation all along the way throughout your life, then you better have enough wherewithal, and I better have enough wherewithal in my life to put some safeguards in my life so I don't fall into those traps, come on now, and devastate my my life and and hurt the heart of my God. So let me just give you a few practical tips tonight on keeping yourself pure in your heart and body and, and in your mind. First of all, uh, you, you want to have some safeguards uh, even on your phone. And I, uh, we just got, we just went to the iPhone 13. Amen. We went from the seven, so don't be too impressed. And so we a big jump there. And so our subscription just ran out on uh, even Covenant Eyes. But normally we have Covenant Eyes on our phones, and that Covenant Eyes will send a full blown email report uh, to to a friend or a pastor or to my wife, in my case, and it, it lists out every email, every website that you visited uh, that week. You say, preacher, why do you normally have that on your phone? Because you struggle with pornography No, because I don't want to struggle with pornography Well, we ought to have some safeguards in our life If you know someone's going to be looking at Every website that you've been looking at That's going to be a pretty good deterrent To keep you from looking at the wrong things Uh Let me say this to the parents in your room You better be very careful Just handing some iPhone or Android to your kid Without any type of filtering or accountability on it And I could sit here tonight, and I could tell you stories, and your pastor could tell you stories, stories that would turn your stomach tonight of young people who are 11, 12, or 13 years old who have to be counseled because they got involved in pornography because mom and daddy gave them a phone without any kind of accountability or filtering on it. You say, I'm old school. I'm not very tech savvy. There's enough nerds in this church who can help you out tonight. Where was I at? Notice it goes on to, let me say this, when it comes to using the internet, most of us use our phones now, you ought to use use the internet like men use Walmart. If I go to Walmart, I'm there to get in and get out as fast as I can, I'm a man on a mission. Praise God for the self-checkout line. That's how you ought to use the internet. You need something, look it up and get off. This is a tool, not a toy. But how many young people get themselves in trouble and not just young people, adult men as well and women laying in bed at night and all of a sudden uh, maybe watching ESPN clips or whatever, basketball or male case hunting, amen. And man, you're just looking at clips or whatever and all of a sudden something comes up. Whoa, what's that? And just a few more clicks and you're down some deep dark hole that you should have never went into the first place. Get in and get out. Get on and get off. Let me say this one tonight. Go ahead and fasten your seatbelt so you don't fall out when I say this. If you're struggling with your phone at night, then go ahead and leave your phone on the kitchen table before you go to bed. Uh, 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 How am I going to wake up in the morning? Walmart sells alarm clocks. (laughs) You say, that's kind of extreme. For some of you, that's what it's going to take. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it at your head. If your arm offends you, lop it off. Yeah. Now, did he really mean pluck your eyeball at your head? No, he said, if you if you got to do whatever you have to do in order to keep yourself from sinning. Radical amputation, if that's what it means. Yeah. Let me say this, if you stop at the same gas station every morning to get your coffee on the way to work, and that cashier, I don't care if it's a man or a woman, starts to get a little, go, they go from being just a cheerful employee to being a little flirty, come on now, and getting a little too friendly, you better start taking your coffee from home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Right. Boy, if you're at work, yeah. and all of a sudden some co-worker starts getting a little too friendly, you say, what do you mean? <laughs> oh, Brian. I don't think so. I said, I don't think so. I want to be kind. I don't want to be a gentleman. But listen to me. You don't play with that mess right there. You say, oh, that's innocent. And that's exactly how it starts. You say, yeah. Okay. You do what you got to do to keep yourself safe. And in the heat of the moment, Joseph literally ran for his life the other day we went to the PBR professional bull riding amen and so we like it and so anyways uh, we were man we were watching these cowboys get thrown across the arena like a lawn dart and as soon as they hit the ground listen to me they don't just casually stroll to the fence or the chute come on you've seen it they scramble as fast as they can to get to the nearest gates there are some temptations in the christian life when it comes to spiritual warfare like matthew chapter 4 when jesus faced the devil he pulled out the word of god and you've got to use the word of god well there's sometimes you've got to pray through but when it comes to physical sexual temptation you physically run for your life if i'm in the middle of a ring and of a rodeo ring and and a bull is charging me i'm not going to sit there and pray I'm not going to sit there and quote Bible verses. Yes, sir. That's right. What are you going to do? I'm going to get my tail out of that ring. Uh-huh. And when it comes to physical sexual temptation, you've got to run for your life. And I want you to know tonight, I'm preaching with fear and trembling tonight, because many of preachers preach the same message I'm preaching tonight. And in an old moment of weakness, succumb and fail to heed the warnings they preach. I'm not preaching to you tonight, I'm preaching to us tonight. And if I could set my tail right here on this front seat and preach to myself, I would because I need it just as much as anybody. Let me close with this tonight. Ron Hamilton, uh, known as Passion of Power to young people, spent most of his adult life writing children's songs, trying to convey truth and a way to get in their hearts and minds. He wrote a song based on our text tonight. He, 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 he uh, The words say this. When Joseph worked in Potiphar's house, he really had the life. He had command of everything except for Potiphar's wife. She tested Joseph every day and tried to lead him wrong. But Joseph said, excuse me, ma'am, while I put my running shoes on. Put on your running shoes, mate. Put on your running shoes. When sin comes knocking at your door, that's just what your feet are for. Put on your running shoes. Well, Potiphar's wife just wouldn't give up. She tried to make him sin. She used her wicked, wily charm, but Joseph wouldn't give in. He didn't stick around to talk. He didn't make a fuss. He grabbed his pair of running shoes and left her in the dust. Put on your running shoes. You say, what did you come to do tonight, preacher? I didn't come to beat you up. I didn't come to guilt you. I didn't come to shame you. I've come to put my arm around you tonight. And to say, hey, let's get back in the fight. Yeah. If you gotten a little if you if you've lost your sensitivity to sin and you've been playing around, and you've not been fighting sin, then tonight, let's get back into the battle. Let's get back to what we ought to be and doing what we ought to be doing so that we can be victorious and pure in heart, in body, and in mind. Father, thank you for the example of Joseph. And Father, you said in the New Testament, these things were written aforetime four-time, four-hour learning. Lord, help us to learn tonight. We thank you that you love us, but we know that there's a devil who hates us. And Lord, help us to do whatever we have to do to keep ourselves and our marriage and our families pure. Lord, we don't have to sit around and scratch our heads tonight wondering how the devil works. Lord, we have the playbook. Lord, help us to follow the example of Joseph. Lord, infuse us with his spiritual character and integrity. If you're here tonight and say, preacher, I'm just going to leave it general, nothing specific. How many says, preacher, God spoke to my heart tonight. Would you pray for me? If that's you, would you lift your hand up? I just want to pray for you as your friend. Yes, 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 yes. Father, bless this invitation tonight. In Jesus' name.